0: Hi, and welcome to the Lehman Krellen Podcast. I'm your host, Damon Baker. In this podcast, we focus mainly on regulatory compliance issues coming out of the UK, but there is a global component to the content we present. We hope you get value out of this one. Thanks again for listening. This is segment three on data and financial services. So today we're going to look at data storage and cybersecurity initially you know, locking down all that data locally or in the cloud, and then launching into how data is used, interrogated, analyzed. I also want to understand, maybe from you, Cath, how you're seeing banks using data and customer information. But let's jump into the data storage and cybersecurity question first.
1: Okay. So, Damon, that's a really interesting question about data storage and security. I think what I've I've seen clients doing as, as good practice is to... Uh, reflect on, so most people these days are using the cloud, most people reflect on the fact that obviously there's only uh, really three cloud providers. So you have to consider the concentration risk there. Do you use just one of those providers or do you use multiple providers? So I think that's an active consideration and one that I don't think everybody's really got a clear answer to yet, but they're thinking about that. They're also then thinking about the point that the FCA's made and the PRA's made very clear, which is making sure that regulators, auditors and others have access to those records. Tricky to do when you're dealing with very large conglomerates, but it's a question that people are now looking at in contracts and making sure those provisions are there. And then they're making sure that there are regular reviews of the data that they've got stored. They're doing... Some firms are actually doing back testing as well to say, OK, so everything going forward, yes, we're happy uh, that we've got regular reviews. We're deleting sensitive data in the requisite timeframes and so on. Uh, and that's difficult when you use, for example, third-party recruitment agencies, but you've got to make sure that they do that and they're deleting things. Uh, and for customer data, then doing those lookbacks for existing customers and making sure that they are handling that sensitively. And I know Zoe, you've done a
2: bit of work around vulnerable customers and how data is stored for vulnerable customers. Absolutely. So you've got two different types of data, which I suppose are the ones that we need to be carefully looking after. And that will be anything relating to special category, personal data, and then also that data relating to protected characteristics. Now, the two interplay quite nicely sometimes but then other times they don't but they both sets of categories both categories of data need to be handled in different ways but at the same time obviously high levels of encryption segregation of information also being very wary of some information such as we think about special category, personal data. So just to remind everyone, that's things like sort of trade union membership, which wouldn't necessarily be relevant under the duty, but genetic data, biometric data, and of course, health data, which is the big key one for, that sits under uh, consumer duty. And then when we're looking at the other uh, protected characteristics um, that fall under the Equality Act, that's when you're looking at things like age, disability, gender reassignment, marriage and partnership, et cetera. So the two, there are overlaps between the two. And I think you've got to be super careful where you have information and you're holding information that relates to either of those categories, but certainly more so when they overlap. So some of that health data you're going to find is also going to be protected as well. And so you've got to think about where are you going to be storing that information and who is it relevant for? So say, for instance, a, a customer comes in and explains that, you know, they're, they're, they're losing their sight for instance. And you've got to think about, yes, that is obviously sensitive information, but at the same time, it's relevant for certain individuals within your firm to have access, easy access to that information so that they can ensure that any communications that are sent to that particular client are in an easily readable format. So there are approaches that obviously firms need to take when they're retrieving that data to ensure then it can be managed appropriately, because obviously there are certain exemptions under the regulation, providing the client has given their express consent for you to use that information to benefit them, ultimately, in terms of the service that they receive from you. And that's the, for instance, the Texas model, which is where you thank the customer for providing the information or disclosing the information. Then you can explain how it's going to be disclosed. You can um, explicitly o- obtain their their consent, ask the customer questions to find out any key information, and then you can signpost them to any external support if they need it. So yes, the two two sets of, of information there play quite nicely, but have to be very, very carefully managed, stored, encrypted, and um, thought going into who has access to what.
0: Can I ask a quick question on that? So that's an interesting point about making sure the customer is aware of what we're doing with the data. How do you tackle scenarios where it's, frankly put, too difficult to explain to them? So I'm thinking about I'm using your behavioral biometrics to determine whether in the fraud space, for example, in the fraud detection space, I'm using the way you swipe your device to determine if it's you or, or if it's a fraudster who's got hold of your device. How do I get that across? like a cookie policy or, you know, or the onboarding of an app when you open it up?
2: Yeah, I think under the duty, everyone's had to go back and look over the GDPR policies, their privacy policies, all of that information that's accessible to customers on their website to update that information, to explain to customers how they're now using this information. Because a lot of that cookie information is going to be very valuable sources of data for firms under the duty. And so they just need to make sure that those policies that are on websites, et cetera, are updated to make sure that customers know what they're doing with that information and why they need to retrieve it and what purpose it it serves for the, the end user.
1: I saw HSBC doing something on this and they were doing something around, it was, I can't think if it was in the app, must have been the app because I don't want to go online. And there was a pop-up saying something about fraud. And it said something about we are using your two-factor uh, authentication as a way of checking that it's you and that your two-factor authentication methods are not being misused or abused by people purporting to be you. And I've also seen some of the banks do things where they say, so when, when you do, for example, telephone banking and they use your voice, they're starting to use voice technology to recognise stress because a lot of fraudsters befriend you or befriend targets and make the target think that they're great friends with one another. It's really nasty. And then you sit with them and they say, don't worry, we'll coach you through the questions your bank are going to ask you because they're going to flag this in somewhere and they're going to because because banks are all nasty and everybody hates them the banks are going to want to keep that money in the bank they're not going to want you to let you go so they're going to pretend it's fraud in order to try and keep your money it's it's really sinister the way they they play it out but you know pe- people believe this stuff to be true and they believe all 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 banks are doing bad things and so they try and recognize stresses in the customer's voice to see if they're answering questions in a way that's slightly different, behaviourally different. Um, And and I think that's very embryonic. But if they can crack that, that's surely got to be a far better outcome for customers and and for the markets more more broadly if they can get those fraudsters and and scammers out of the market because they're getting very good at it now.
0: And and overlay with that, Catherine, how much do you disclose? So I love your I love your example of the HSBC that two factor authentication. That's great. We're protecting you. But if I think of the more sophisticated detection systems, and you start talking about we're collecting this, you're giving insight to the fraudsters of what you're doing. And so there's a real difficult balance, a one that I'm having, a discussion, a debate, should I say that I'm having at the moment about with the data governance team, which is well, how much do I disclose? Because let's let's be honest everyone is being targeted and you know going on with your bank example you know the the bad actors bank it's not as though we've got the bad actor bank plc only onboarding the bad actors they're being they're being onboarded you know unwittingly by all of the branded names and so therefore how much do you disclose because you don't want to give insight into what you're doing
1: Uh, you've got to be fair to the customer haven't you and you've got to tell them I guess there must be a way of surely there's a way of rolling that up in a way that the customer can because as you say how much of this can customers understand some some customers of course will be really savvy about this others less so and others will be absolutely paranoid about it I can I can certainly think of a few a few very good friends who who won't even use online banking today because they don't trust it they don't believe in it and they're very worried about the security of it and in a lot of ways, for good reason, I think, it's very, it, 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 it's not, you know, it's it's not there yet, is it, some of that technology. So then that, that probably takes us neatly on to the other question was about tools and techniques for data interrogation, exploratory data analysis and identifying patterns, anomalies and insights. And that probably talks precisely to some of the work you're doing right now, Rupi.
0: Yes. So we're using I'm working w- w- with with a challenger bank, interestingly, all about using behavioral biometrics, which is not biometrics. I've, as you can tell, I spent co- quite a few weeks educating people on the difference between behavioral biometrics and biometrics. So we're not capturing people's fingerprints. We're not using their retina. Um, no, what we are doing, though, is measuring how how you how you log on to the, the you know the internet site how you how you use your swipes and the pressure you apply on the mobile app I know it sounds it sounds like you know FBI CIA style level in interrogation but it's not you know this there's there are clever people out there and this kind of data and this usage is captured Because the idea is you build up a profile of your customer so that when, one, it's not your customer, you can identify that almost in real time. And two, to the point that you just mentioned, Catherine, there about when you're under pressure, there are so many modules, there are so many offerings in the third-party space about this is what this individual's voice sounds when they're onboarding and trying to make a payment. And this is what their voice sounds when they feel like when they're being coached to say stuff. So, you know... These are really interesting times for the use of the data. So if we park the whole governance piece for a moment, and I, I know that sounds and it sounds as though I'm being rather unfair to the customer. I'm not. I'm actually almost I'm protecting them, but actually using their data to allow me to do that deep analytics to say, this is my customer. Oops, no, this isn't my customer. Let's stop their payment journey and just investigate and make sure we're protecting them.
2: Yes, it is, it is becoming quite an art but yes, absolutely, and I think all of the a lot of firms are now doing that now, where they're actually re- refreshing those those policies online because they are upping the ante in terms of the technology that they're using to collect that information and detect things such as fraud, etc. The t-
1: the is for the smaller firms because you know a, a great big firm, you know, I said HSBC, that's who I bank with, but you know, a great big. A great big firm you would like to think can afford to do that or at least has no choice but to spend that money in order to stay alive and stay competitive, whereas a smaller organisation doesn't have access to be able to make those kind of decisions. So if you're a challenger bank, life is becoming very, very tough for you. If you're a small branch of a third country bank, and sorry, I'm just using banks as an example. It's even harder because how on earth do you persuade your head office that is located wherever it's located overseas? That they need to start investing in this kind of technology because of the nature of the fraud and the scams that are going on in in the uk or you know largely in the western world and how how do you persuade someone to release that kind of expenditure for what is potentially a very very small proportion of the global balance sheet they're not going to do that so it's a really difficult place to be really difficult
0: As we bring this episode to a close, I'd like to ask you to please drop us some feedback. Let us know what's working. Let us know where we can improve. And also, give us an idea of some topics that you'd like to hear more about. Definitely check out the website for more content at www.leemancrelin.co.uk. And don't forget to join us next time on the Krellen Podcast. Until then, thanks for your time. Goodbye.